all 16 verses in just one moment. They claim, I don't know if it's true or not, they claim that February is the most depressing month of the entire year. And listening to you all sing, you don't sound very dark and depressed this morning. And I commend you for that. I think maybe that we're not digging our way out of another snowstorm has added a little bit to it, but God has blessed us. I know others would disagree with me who love snow, but I think God has blessed us with bright, clear, blue skies. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church, especially if this is your first time here. I I understand it can be overwhelming, it can be daunting, all these strange faces, but um, let me know that you've walked into an imperfect church with imperfect leaders and imperfect people, but we worship and we serve a perfect God. And there is where all of our attention will always be. So we welcome you to join us as we focus our attention on the one, the one and the only, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Thank you for allowing and affording um, an opportunity for Wednesday night to be away the last couple weeks. And it was a blessing to have some of the young guys preach. And I am so blessed. We are so blessed by the leadership that God has brought um, to Big Woods. We were able to visit and spend some time with family, and so we praise the Lord for that. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into our text this morning? <clears throat> Father, we do, we, we do love you, and we are amazed at who you are. We thank you, Lord, already for the blessing the, the little ones that we have seen, the way, Lord, that you are watching out for this church, allowing it to grow from within, the blessing of, of babies. And I do pray that we would be serious about teaching and discipling our young ones to bring them up in the instruction, the discipline of you and of your word. And Father, in the midst of another week, we... We can oftentimes feel overwhelmed just with what we have experienced in in the past few days or what we anxiously anticipate in the days to come. And so, Lord, with, with that, we just ask that you would minister to hearts. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would descend upon us and, and work within us. And now with your perfect word opened up and And this moment that you have set since the foundations of the earth for us to hear from you. I would pray, Lord, that 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 is exactly what would happen. Please free me, Lord, from any way of being a distraction in in drawing people away from you. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the amazing message of the work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, even as we begin to kind of think about and anticipate the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, how, how hope-filled that makes us. Lord, may you have your way with us now. May you speak and we hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Genesis opens up, and I think we've got this. We've been here for a while. 
It opens up with man and woman created in the image of God, and, and they are fellowshipping in sinless perfection, in perfect communion with their creator. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, closes with man and women, man and, and woman times what? Millions upon millions. I read the phrase this morning with a number that is so great, no one could number. And again, what everyone is fellowshipping in sinless paradise and perfect communion with their creator, everyone who has placed their faith in the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a sense, it bookends with what? Perfect fellowship and communion here, perfect fellowship and communion here, and we have life in between. In all of Scripture, we have brokenness and sinfulness. We see rebellion, and there is bloodshed and selfishness and disobedience. And today, as we open up to the pages of Genesis chapter 16, there is no exception. The odd thing is, it's, it's odd because it immediately follows what Pastor Stewart just last week said, what? Few chapters in all of Scripture have as much reverberation, as much significance to the overall theology of the Bible as Genesis chapter 15. It is such a majestic chapter. I have to admit here, I have to confess before you, would my travel schedule conflict it with me being away for Genesis chapter 15? I was jealous. Such great stuff. Pastor Aaron gets what? He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Justification by faith alone. Like this mountain doctrine. Last week, Pastor Stewart had what? A heifer and a goat and a ram cut in half. There's, there's blood on the ground. There's birds of prey. The sun going down. There's darkness and smoking fire and a flaming torch. And today I get two ladies that are fighting. And I have to, thought, I have to think, I'm like, really? Really? No, let, let me tell you this. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Which means what? We live in a world of constant, senseless, useless information. Americans chew enough gum to fill up 77,000 swimming pools a year. I don't care what we hear. I don't need another cat video of him climbing up the curtain. I don't, I don't care about that stuff. People are dying and going to hell. Enter what? Us today, this word, the local church of Jesus Christ. God has been expressly clear. He's offered promise after promise in chapter 15, the promise of a seed. And from that seed, there'll be one. The promise of a family, a promise of a son. Last week we saw what? The promise of a land, not just any land, a specific place that you will call home. Just think for a moment as we turn the page from Genesis 15 to Genesis 16. Talk about the spiritual high that Abram must have been on. Just get this. The voice 
of God. He's just heard the closeness of God, the promises of God, the presence of God. And you can like feel it on the back of your neck in that scene. The chill of the night air and yet the warmth of the fire. All of it at the same time, a moment of wow. And you've been there before. I know you have at some point in your life where it's just felt like what? You and God. And there's this moment of closeness or intimacy. And there's a moment of praise and gratitude and worship. The thrill of you feeling what? The closeness of God. I am with him and he is with me. And then what? Now what happens? Ten years. Ten years. And there's nothing. There's silence. You ever, do you ever feel like that in your own life? God has offered you, and you know it. You've heard it. He's offered you promise after promise after promise. And now you're in a season of nothingness. In those seasons, let me tell you what not to do. Genesis chapter 16, here it is, verse 1. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from them, fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. 
So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well that was called Ber Lehoaroi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The word of the Lord. We, we, have, we, have, we have a text before us, and, and we have a major problem here. First point, here it is. We see humanity in crises. I don't want to disappoint you. I don't think it's a shock to tell you the truth. You guys know me pretty well. But my, my gift of languages is not very strong. I flunked French in junior high. My English has a bit of a, it's kind of a, a North Philadelphia slash Canadian accent. My Spanish is, is limited to hola. Kenny helps me with that all the time. My Italian is limited to scusi, which means just sorry, excuse me. And let me tell you this, my, my Chinese is really, really bad. For years, I have heard, and I've actually even mentioned this, that the Chinese ideogram for the word trouble is represented by two women that are living under the same roof. Now, now we know that everything that we say today is fact-checked, and it should be. And I was, I was checking this fact, and, and I have to confess, at some level, it's not fully true. But what I did realize is this. Interesting enough, the Chinese ideogram for the word peace is one woman living with her husband under one roof. Which is what? It is, it is similar to the Chinese ideogram that means settled. It's the same as the word tranquility or serenity or stillness. All of these things that should be in all of our homes. And let me tell you this. In Genesis chapter 16, that is not what is present here at all. There's no serenity. There's no stillness. Although a promise was made, and it was clear and repeated, first of all, by way of some of the crises that exist, the chaos that exists, there's impatience that is present. Now just think for a moment of the world that you and I live in. Oh, we are so patient as you are waiting for something to download, and you're like, come on, it's been three and a half seconds. Think about this, Abram and Sarai together are our hope. Remember that. It was, it was to them that God chose to bring us the Messiah. 
Remember I talk about progressive revelation. God is continually revealing himself more and more and more. And, and what? It's the covenants that we keep like mountaintops. We view them. We keep them in our view all the time. This is the promise. It's through this one that the Messiah, it's through his line, Abram and Sarai, that this one will come. And yet what happens in this text is that it moves from faithlessness to failure. And and it happens again. Exactly how Pastor Aaron described. And I quote, with each new genealogy, We are to trace the seed or the offspring of the woman and ask the question, is this the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent or should we look for another? The problem as we have seen is that each new figure presented as a new Adam is too much like the old Adam and fails at the task of crushing the serpent. That's like, that's like a perfect description as we know what there's a promise of this one being revealed. This is our hope. And they blow it again and again. That's what's happening. What is it? Well, reality is what? There's a really old man and he's getting older. There's an old woman and she's not getting any younger. For 10 years and impatience, What? on their part, but also on our part, leads dangerously to doubt. Secondly, together they have heard. They've heard the words. They have been given a promise. They've been given promises. Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 15. Over and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will give you this land. And I am certain that they have asked and wondered and questioned, how can this be? Genesis chapter 15 opens up with what? I continue childless. Like, this is not happening. We're old. She's empty. She's barren. And as God, as God clarifies that promise, as he does in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 15, they zero in on eight words. Your very own son shall be your heir. So now it's like, oh, your very own son shall be your heir. Well, we know that time is ticking, so what? Automatically, I guess, in a doubting of God's promise, I guess this means that we are going to have to come up with a plan in order for this whole son thing to happen. You ever find yourself doing that? Just stop, just stop, just stop for a moment. I'll stop. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. God never needs our help to accomplish his perfect sovereign will. God never needs our help to accomplish his perfect sovereign will. Impatience leads to doubts, and doubts leads to scheming. We got a plan here. We got a plan. Here it is in a nutshell. And understand that you're going to already have to have some dialogue with your children over lunch on this. I'll let you as parents take care of that. 
Here it is in a nutshell. This, this plan to so-called help God fulfill his promise by giving Hagar to Abram was, and let's, let's just be honest here, it's Sarah's idea in the first place. Although it has been a decade since God promised to make Abram a great nation, specifically with a biological son, Abram has not chosen, at least up to this point, as one commentator accurately stated, to speed up God's timetable by marrying other wives. Actually, Abram, at least at this moment, was waiting for God to fulfill the promise through Sarai, who was barren, and he actually has grasped something. He's, 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 he's grabbed hold of something that you and I forget all the time. And obviously, Sarah forgets it. He grasped something so important. I had the words written on the bottom of your note sheet that you have. And you can follow along. This is what he grasped that you and I need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of this. My soul will wait. My soul will wait. How hard is that? Peter, which is interesting meeting with some pastors just this past week and we were reading this text together and I made the comment this is so this is so different from the Peter that we were introduced to in the gospels this this is Peter filled with the spirit and settled listen to what Peter writes but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He's saying what? Throw your calendar out. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In all honesty, at least at this moment, up until here, Abram's grasping something that, that you and I forget, and certainly that his wife forgets. And before you get too wigged out and, and totally happens with like what is happening in this particular text, just, just kind of like set our scene, think ancient Middle Eastern culture, okay? Not present day. It was not uncommon Okay, it was actually a rather familiar practice or custom of that day for a wealthy, barren woman such as Sarai to offer her own servant to her husband to produce an heir. It's unfathomable in our minds. But that same custom would allow what? Any heir would then belong to Sarah. Sarai as the owner of the servant, Hagar. Yet in this, in this scheming, what Sarai failed to anticipate is the natural consequence of sin, of moving outside of God's perfect plan. And it was in this particular case, it was Hagar who conceived, and what? It says that she looked with contempt the, the word translates, she looked with disdain, or we know this, she was sneering. I don't even know how to like, like define sneering, but you know what it is. One woman looking at another with 
disdain. And perhaps for a good reason. Like, like any woman, just think for a moment. No, no woman is going to like the idea of what? Carrying a baby, giving birth to a baby, and then unwillingly give up that baby to what? To Sarai, and then remain in, in a servant's role, although she has been given, clearly as it says in verse 3, as a wife. As, 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 like as, actually, was there, was there a document? We have as a wife. Remember in that culture as well, a woman's fertility was seen as a sign of her worth. Therefore, her infertility communicated what? That she, for some reason, was worth less than. How horrible and tragic is that? So Hagar's ability to conceive when Sarah was childless for decades, actually what, perhaps it's like, huh, I'm a little bit better than you are, and it's a source of pride or contempt for Hagar. No, no doubt, angry and hurt by Hagar's attitude, it says that Sarah now dealt harshly. You can interpret that wrongly sarah wrongly dealt harshly and in addition to that if that wasn't wrong enough and now she complains to abram and her tone suggests that now abram is totally responsible for what has happened may the wrong that's done to me be on you now let me let me just be clear here no doubt abram is responsible okay we're not we're not removing him from this he approved of the idea he consented to the idea. He certainly followed through with the plan. But the truth is, it was Sarai's idea. I think it's interesting to note here what is interesting is that in her anger, in Sarah's anger, she invokes the Lord's name, in a sense going over Abram's head, appealing to a higher authority. And she calls on, and the word is what? Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Yahweh to be the judge between you and me. Remember, remember one thing that always happens. That always happens when we stop trusting God. Is we blame other people. And it happens all the time. You are living in a lack of faith, and what? All of a sudden, it becomes everyone else's problem. That's exactly what happens. Sarah does that. It's Hagar's fault. It's Abram's fault. It's God's fault. And finally, in this conflict, and in this chaos, and in this hurt, Hagar runs away. And the, the, whole, the whole scene, the whole scene here is just sad. You back up, you begin to kind of see how Scripture kind of connects and relates. And Hughes sums up this low point in Abram's life very well. Go back a couple of chapters. Think, think of this for a moment. There is an ironic reversal here. Down in Egypt, trustless Abram had given Sarai over to the Egyptian hero, uh, pharaoh. Now in Canaan, untrusting Sarah gave Abram over to her Egyptian servants. And he quotes, Abram's fiasco in Egypt was costly indeed. Which means what? You step out of the Lord's will one time, I'll tell you what, you're running the risk here. Patterns are developed. 
there's, there's just crisis. There's just chaos. Humanity in crisis. But thankfully, secondly, what do we have here? And finally, we have divinity on display. Up to this point, if you've noticed throughout the pages of Scripture, there are major characters that we've kind of focused on that are revealing more and more and more about God. We have focused on the, the big guns, the heavy hitters, Adam and Noah and Abram, and really not the minor ones. There's not really much mention of the minor ones that teach us about God until here. Until this, this little young woman, Hagar. She teaches us something about God. It says that as she has gone an angel of the Lord. I, I think it simply means a messenger there is debate surrounding. Is this a Christophany of some sorts? Is this Christ appear? I think it's an angel of the Lord. Simply, it means a messenger, one dispatched to speak on behalf of God. And the angel finds this young woman. She's alone. She's pregnant. She's scared. She's angry. She's sitting by a spring, basically in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a wilderness. And, and the first words, the first revelation that is spoken to, to Hagar, who in a sense is this fertile one in the midst of barrenness, everywhere, it's just barren, it's a wilderness. In the midst of that, the first words are really, are really amazing. And they're very unique. It says what? I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. Now, now, you're like, that kind of sounds familiar. Yes, it does sound familiar. Six times, Abram has heard this patriarchal promise. And we know later in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac will hear it one time. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob will hear it. But, but with all the patriarchs, this is the only time that a matriarch will hear such a promise in many ways, in many ways. She is an honored woman. But sadly, and I know you're thinking like, do you know how the story ends here? Like, do we know what it looks like? Sadly, she does not live up to the blessing that was given to her. The angel of the Lord announces that you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Ishmael, which literally means God has heard. The name Ishmael means God has heard. And it, it's beautiful. By giving her son this name, it implies what? That God hears the cry of the afflicted. And with this blessing that says what? It, it'll be multiple offspring. The response, at least for a moment here, the response from Hagar to the Lord's word is remarkable. It's beautiful. The God who has heard her, what is her response? You are the God who sees me. She is comforted. She returns as instructed. I, I wouldn't say, at least for a moment, again, a changed woman. And we know that, that Abram, what responds to her word and names the child appropriately, God has heard. 
I think you and I, in the midst of the lives that we find ourselves right in, right now as the chapters of our life, and it seems like the pages are flying by, we need to be reminded, do, do you realize that God hears you in the cries of your affliction? Do, do you realize this morning that God sees you? He sees specifically and precisely where you're at. He has seen what has happened to you. He is well aware of those who have wrongly hurt you. Well, the initial response of Hagar is beautiful. The, the prophecy that is given here is not so beautiful. It says that Ishmael's character is going to be that of a wild donkey roaming throughout the Bedouin wastelands in many ways of the Middle East is an animal that it looks actually more like a horse than a donkey, but it represents what this idea of being unfettered, roaming, wild, free, and untrained. In many ways, untrainable. Derek Kidner writes this, to some degree, the son of Abram would be a shadow of his father. His restless existence, no pilgrimage, but an end to himself. His nonconformism, a habit of mind, not a light to the nations. I think what's even more tragic is that later on we'll see this meek and this submissive Hagar who was, who was blessed. One who who says that she has seen the Lord. Later in Genesis chapter 21, we'll get to the fact that she becomes arrogant and boastful and even vaunting of her triumph in the face of Sarai, particularly when Ishmael, who is the stronger, older brother, what? Broods over the younger promised heir, the weaker Isaac. Step back from this, and in all honesty, this is what I would just say, this is a tragic tragedy before us this morning. Like, what does this tell us? Why is this here? What is this teaching us this morning about God? I think the whole text, 16 verses in chapter 16, is saying one thing, and you can write this down. And we need to remember this as we kind of wake up tomorrow morning. I think this, this text is saying one thing. When God makes a promise, he wants us to trust him, not help him fulfill it. When God makes a promise, he just wants us to rest, to trust him, and not help him Fulfill it. What is happening here from a spiritual high of Genesis chapter 15 to a spiritual low? And this is really, really low. And I would say, hey, we can ask, what is Abram thinking here, man? What are you doing? We need examples of godly husbands and godly fathers. We don't need this slop. What is he thinking we know that scripture, what? In scripture, God never, ever condones disobedience. He never encourages sinfulness, sinful actions in any way. 
But throughout the pages of Scripture, and you will read this over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, God does have a habit of taking what? The ugliness of our own sin and the brokenness. And he has this habit over and over and over again. What does Isaiah, what does the prophet Isaiah say in chapter 61? He, he, he makes beauty from ashes. He does it over and over and over again. Think, think, think of a puzzle. I, I hate puzzles. What's worse than a 500-piece puzzle? A 1,000-piece puzzle. No, no one ever, like, think about this. You get out on the table. You got to have a really bright light. You got to keep your glasses on. You got to, first of all, flip them all over. So you same the same. And, and no one ever takes one piece of a puzzle. No one ever does this and says, wow, look at that. No, you don't do that. You take one piece of the puzzle and you're like, what? What is that? Right? You know, that is exactly what God is doing throughout the pages of Scripture. Word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, he is putting the pieces together that will one day show us a beautiful masterpiece of redemption. And, and in some way, not only what the, the entire story of history, but God actually desires the same for you, for your life, if, if you trust him. Even, even when, what, like Hagar, we would say, this is just unfair. Even when, what, like Sarai, it seems impossible. God specializes in the impossible. What if we've been studying all of creation, the beauty, the mountains, the stars, the seas, every plant and animal from a spoken word, a spoken word. God specializes in the impossible, a, a heap of dust. And he breathes into it. The breath of life. A flood from the mountains of the deep burst forth and windows of the heavens opened up. We have seen protection from the enemies, provision from famine, the presence of God as a flaming torch, promise after promise, and we haven't even made it halfway through the book of Genesis. The first book. The first book. We know Abram and Sarah stepped outside of God's will Doubting God's promise. Let's, let's be careful here. Let's not be too hard on them because what? We too can question and doubt the promises of God. We do it all the time. Yesterday, yesterday, this morning, Tomorrow morning, you stand in front of the mirror holding a proverbial piece of the puzzle. And you're like, what is this? My life is not what I thought it was going to be. And there is hurt. And there is anger. And there is stress. And there is fear. And there is uncertainty and ugliness, unfulfilled promises. 
rebellious children, broken relationships, dashed dreams all over the place. And you ask the question, like, what, what, is God, what is God doing here? Why is God allowing this? Well, we certainly can ask. It's okay to ask questions. We need to be very, very careful because he can't help but notice, just as the sin of Abram and Sarah brought heartache and hurt to another, your sin will as well. So your doubt, what causes other people to doubt? Your impatience causes, your scheming a plan causes other people to do the same. As a matter of fact, their own lack of faith in God working to accomplish his will, his way, instead of their own way, brought what? We read it, generations of heartache. It's not a little thing, people, to disregard the plan. It's not a little thing to kind of go it alone. Remember the Garden of Eden. Note the devastating similarities. This could just preach on its own between the passivity of Adam and the passivity of Abram. But thankfully what? We still have in our view one. There's still one. There is only one who will not stumble, who will not fall, who cannot fall, who is the perfect fulfillment for all of our afflictions and all of our heartaches. There is what? There is the better Adam. There is the better Abram. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to summarize his ministry, but this week I was reading, I was like, how do we describe? And I found myself in the Gospel of, of Matthew in chapter 9. Let me leave you with this. It says that when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Not only did Jesus just, what, see, but he, he intervened for us. He offered himself for us. So this morning, thankfully, just as God saw Sarah in her barrenness, he saw Hagar in her affliction. Let me remind you that he sees you this morning, regardless of where you're at in life, and what you will not be forgotten. Let me leave you with this. Recognize, just recognize people, God's purpose for your life. Just as Abram was called by God with a purpose to obey God and to trust him. Now, now you may not be called like Abram to be the father of nations, but I tell you what, as a father, you've been called to be faithful. As a mother, you've been called to be faithful. As a husband, you've been called to be loving. As a wife, you're, you're, you're in a sense called to be that help me and that completer you're called to be a diligent honest employee god has a purpose for your life recognize that rest in god's promises just as abram was told he was going to inherit a land understand this god is preparing a place for you john chapter 14 says what i'm building you a home a, a place of eternal rest when 
you place your trust in Jesus. When you admit your sin and know that you're in need of a Savior, and there's only one, there's only one. All of Scripture points to this one. And in this season of waiting that we hate, by nature we are impatient. What do we do? Rejoice, people. Truly rejoice. Even when the impossible seems impossible, God is still in full control. Philippians says what? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he repeats it. And again, I say rejoice. May that be our hope and our prayer in recognizing, resting, and rejoicing in the promises of a sovereign God. Father, we love you and we thank you for this reminder from Scripture. And I know, Lord, there's a, a lot here, but may we understand and be reminded of, of the fact that you are a God who keeps your covenant to a thousand generations. You keep your promises. And through your Scripture, you reveal to us the hope that, that exists only in one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rest in his work and we rejoice in his work. And we thank you for that. Bless us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.